Hello and welcome to Virtual Philanthropy. I'm your host, EJ Jacobs. Virtual Philanthropy is a donor-led virtual tour of the grant-making process. Donors walk us through how they find potential organizations and ultimately ultimately decide to fund them. Get my words out there. Today's fun, uh, person in philanthropy is Sarah Myers. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Can you tell us something about yourself or your organization? Sure. So I'm currently with the Malago Foundation. I've been there for about a year and a half, and they've been in the philanthropy side for a few years now, working with different kinds of funders. So immediately before Malago, I was with the Skoll Foundation, which I think in the big picture of philanthropy, there's a lot of similarities between those two institutions. Uh, before that was with the Silicon Valley Community Foundation, but I was an advisor for corporations, so doing a lot of corporate responsibility work. And uh, before that, worked in the big bank system a little bit in DC. But I started out in the nonprofit side, working for a public health organization, and made the made the transition because I was working with a funder that I thought was a really interesting funder and wanted to learn more about that space. How much do you feel like your nonprofit work has informed your for your philanthropic work? That's a good question. I think it's informed my philanthropic work a lot. When I, I mean, I could just talk about that more specifically. So uh, the organization that I work with is called the Seo Foundation. It's based in Berkeley, which is where I was born and where I'm from in California. And, go Cal Bears. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't go to Berkeley, but yes, go Bears. Um, yeah, so I worked on a, I, I essentially worked on a program with that organization that was funded by the Tom's company when Tom started working in eye care. And so unlike the shoe giving model where they worked with a lot of different nonprofits um, for that, they worked with one organization that was a SAFE foundation for their eye giving. And I had never, this is like my first job in the nonprofit sector. I was so excited to be there. I was learning so much about just how that whole world worked and doing eye care both domestically in the United States and internationally. And uh, because I was on that particular program, I learned a lot about like the funder landscape, right? Like what, you know, what people are doing and specifically like corporates and how corporates are getting involved in uh, philanthropy and, you know, international development work essentially. And it was that experience that made me want to go into the donor space. Um, so I would say it had a profound influence on, on my work, not just in terms of like understanding what it means to be within a nonprofit and a lot of the challenges that you face and some of the obnoxious things that donors will ask you, but also um, getting a sense of the different kinds of funders that are out there and uh, how could we potentially work with them more effectively. You alluded to something I was curious about. You know, there are so many things and frustrations with donors on a nonprofit side. Was there something that you said, I can't believe donors do this, that when you move to the donor side, I completely understand why donors do this? <laughs> or is that still a mystery <laughs> to you? <laughs> no, I, no, I, nope, yep, I get it. So I think one of the things that was really quite frustrating when I was there. So we, so because it's a one for one kind of program, right? So there was the, the tracking had to be at the individual level and Seva was working with a host of different eye care institutions that were providing different kinds of services. So it's very, very different from the shoe giving model. Let's put it that. But you know, there was anything from cataract surgeries to medicines for glaucoma to, you know, eyewear, right. For um, addressing refractive errors. So, um, Lots of different kinds of services that were being done. There were adults, there were children. It was like all over the world. They were giving partners kind of across sub-Saharan Africa, a number in um, um, India as well, a few in Latin America. And getting all of those partners to share out on the exact same metrics. And then like, a, you know, we tr first it was through Excel sheets and everyone was sending us individual Excel sheets, right? And I was the one that would like compile all that Excel data. Uh, it was awesome, <laughs> right? Everyone loves combing through Excel data and finding 
stuff that doesn't make sense. Anyway, so, but then we tried to move from that into like a streamlined platform, um, you know, like a, like basically like a tech system because, because yeah. Tom's really wanted to have like more visibility into a lot of the data. So I, I totally get it, right? Like it makes a lot of sense. But then trying to get everyone to get on that same platform was just, oh my gosh, it took so long. And then some people <laughs> like were working in places where they have really slow internet or the internet doesn't work for a lot of, you know, a lot of the day. And so then we had to come up with like a second type of platform that was, you could enter information offline and then like sync it at some point. And I just don't think there was as much of um, an understanding of the different contexts in which all of these partners were working in and how challenging it can be to get like individual level data by a certain time and having everyone reporting it exactly the same way. Um, so I've seen that and I think that that, you know, now being on the funder side too, just like understanding some of the the challenges and collecting the kind of data that people would ideally love to see to understand a program and just knowing like what's realistic and what's reasonable and what's what would be ideal but potentially not realistic to collect. When you see, or if you see, because maybe you don't see that at all, yeah. a nonprofit leader coming to you and making a mistake that you made when you were on the nonprofit side, do you point that out in the way and try not to be patronizing, or do you just sort of let that sort of pass, or say, because I, I've been there, I know that that's a mistake that he or she is making that they don't really mean to make. Is that a teaching opportunity? How do you feel like mm. you do that without actually coming off as like, I know better because I'm the donor, instead of saying, I know better because I've been in your shoes before? Oh, I don't know if I have a great answer to that question. It's okay. I think, I think for me, <laughs> Any answer that's honest yeah, is a great I, answer. I, I think my answer would probably be like, maybe not, but but just because when I was in that role, I mean, I had other roles before, but it was my first social sector role. So I was just learning so much. Okay. And I was also quite young in my career. I mean, I'm still young in my career, right? But um, that a lot of my learning was just more more general and not necessarily like sector specific yeah. in terms of like how you interact with a donor specifically or like this thing about this program it was more you know like about just like how you interact with people in different partners and those kinds of learnings and I think that that's something that especially for early career people in any space is just stuff that you're going to learn over time and so I have found myself sharing what I've learned with other with other people like mostly like my colleagues that are kind of in a similar place or who have gone through a, a similar path, but maybe not in, in terms of like with a partner that I work with. I completely understand. Sense. Yeah, of course yeah. it makes sense. And before we get onto the tour, this yeah. is your chance to have your shameless plug. So who do you want to go out there and just say, this person is doing amazing work or even a program that you have, and it can be plug anything you want. Oh, I think everyone's doing amazing work. People should look at our, so I'm working with Malago now and I do have huge faith and people ask me all the time, like what gives you hope in the world, right? And I think uh, the kind of people that are doing this super hard work every day. And so I would, my shameless plug is for everyone to take a look at our fellows, uh, the, the kind of fellows that Malago is supporting, I think are just like really fantastic people doing really interesting things. And we'll and add that to the passionate. website as well. So yes. people, if they so can't find so Malago. Can our, we can add our fellows page on there. And also um, we continue to invest, one of the things I really appreciate about um, our funding models, we continue to invest in organizations that um, we have really high confidence in for their ability to have impact at scale. And so also take a look at our like portfolio organizations that we um, are just totally rooting for. And a couple other shameless plugs are kind of more like resources that I sure, put out there. Please. Uh, so, you know, everyone, every funder, like every 
organization has constraints on how many things they can do, how many people they can work with. And we, of course, experience that as well. So we can only bring in uh, like 20 fellows every year and then a smaller subset into our into our portfolio. But we do have all of the kind of core resources that we work with those organizations on um, available on our website under like a, our, it's like an our stuff tab. So I'll share that with you too. So you can put that up there. But um, we have a lot of content on there. And so if people are interested in the kind of stuff that we, that we teach and we talk about and we push people on, te- check that out. Another resource I um, would just share, because I've been asked um, a bit about this um, recently, is how funders are reviewing nonprofits' financials. And so when I was at school, I did um, a little piece on that. And there's a guide that I, that I put together on like how, how to review a nonprofit's audit or look at a 990. Um, it, it was actually geared towards donors um, and how they were doing their own financial analysis. But I think it's super important for nonprofits to also be knowing what donors are looking at and how their how their financial statements are being reviewed. So I'll send you a link to that too. Brilliant. I'll definitely obviously put that up. And I love that your answer is very so much like a mother. It's like, I love all my grantees equally. Yeah. <laughs> and just before we, we take the tour, I think it was important that you mentioned that you're, you, know, you have 20 grantees places available because I think that sometimes when you're out there talking to the grant uh, possible grantees or the nonprofits mm-hmm. that they don't realize the volume yeah. that they're in they yeah. could be one of 200 people that you've met in the course of a week and are like yeah. we might be a good fit and it's like yeah. yeah you could be a good fit but we've already got 17 spots filled and we're looking for people who are aligned more and less so I think it's hard to have that conversation with them yeah. And so I, I just wanted to put that out there for you because I know sometimes people say, oh, you know, we want to meet with Malago, but, you know, it just can't get in. It's just like, it maybe it's because the positions are already filled. And talking yeah. about that cap of how many spots you, you've got available, I think it's... Super hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I, just to be totally honest with you, I, I have not had those challenging conversations as much. That's an area that I am learning. I'm learning to have those challenging conversations. So my role in the foundation space has mostly been on like an ongoing portfolio side. So organizations that are already part of a network. So there's already been a selection process and then looking at investment opportunities with those kind of, with that kind of subset. So in my work at Milago now we have um, another individual on my team that um, is really leading the process in terms of who comes in for the fellowship. And then, then where I get kind of more involved is then looking at of those organizations in the fellowship, you know, where could there be a really good fit with ongoing support as a part of the portfolio? Um, so you already have a subset. And I think, you know, frankly, it might be harder to do the other side, right? When yeah. there are so many fantastic organizations out there and a lot that could potentially be aligned. But when you only have, we have two different fellowship programs, each bring in 10 new organizations per year. And so when you only have a very, very limited um, amount of spots available and resources available for them. Like, how do you make those hard decisions? And so uh, I'm, I'm learning that myself right now and how to have a constructive conversation about that. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, without any further ado, yeah. take us on your tour. So how does Organization A find its way to Malago? Uh, we work through a network of of partners and past fellows um, primarily through referrals into our system we're a super small team of eight and so we um, you know unfortunately don't have like an open application process i know a lot of people would love for that to happen i i understand that um but just kind of the nature of how we're structured we're just quite we're quite small and it would be hard to manage that kind of inflow so um, i think the way we look at it is uh try to connect with people who know who know our work pretty well like know 
what we're looking for. So like past fellows are a fantastic um, way for us to learn about like new organizations in the countries that they're operating in. That could be a great fit uh, as well as other funders um, that are like like-minded funders that might have organizations that they're working with that could be a really good fit for our work. And information on your fellows can be found on your website. So that may yes. be a great place people yeah, to start so we, to say. Yeah, exactly. So we have, obviously we like, we have a website, we have our, like what we're looking for um, up there for people to take a look at. Um, and we try to get out as much as we can in terms of like going to conferences and meeting with people. And anytime we're out visiting a fellow or a portfolio organization, we try to ask them like, who are other people that we can meet with in this space that you're friends with, that you know, uh, or that you just think is doing fantastic work that might be a good fit for us. We'd like to have a chance to meet with them. Now someone has actually become on your radar. Yeah. What steps do they need to take to go from being on your radar to being a fellow? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, it always starts with the first conversation, right? And I think what I would encourage people to do in that first conversation is to just get a better sense of, uh, uh, get a better sense of a person. We think it all starts with a relationship, right? And because we're looking for organizations that are super early stage, they're, um, you know, we're open to kind of, we're open to a lot and we're not necessarily sector specific. We do have a geographic focus, um, like a target population that we're looking for, um, but we're really open to a lot. So I think just trying to have conversations. Um, once we have, a, when we're having a conversation with someone, um, what we're really trying to understand is first of all, the person, we are investing in people as much as we're investing in an organization, right? Like um, the model might change, the team might go in a kind of different direction, but um, if it's a really, visionary leader, super passionate about what they do, um, and we believe in them um, and their kind of impact orientation, that goes a long way. So just getting a better sense of the individual is super important. Um, but also in terms of the model, we're looking for things, like we specifically are looking for things that uh, do have significant impact on a target population. So we're looking at like the poorest of the poor and um, is scalable. So an organization or um, an individual that really is geared towards scaling up what they're doing. What are some common mistakes that people make in that first conversation with someone like you or a colleague that might derail the conversation? Or what are some things that people should be saying? Of course, everyone's going to say, okay, say, tell us verbatim what yeah. we should say, but yeah. you can give me a gist in that situation. But what are some of the common mistakes people make? I don't know if I call it like a mistake, but just something, something that I've seen. I call it a mistake. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Like right. Something that I've seen that, you know, might not end the way someone would want it to go would be um, anticipating that that first conversation is like a funding conversation from the get-go, right? Like I said earlier, I think a lot of it is about building a relationship. And I've worked for a few different funders now. And I think like, especially in the last organization I was with, like it can be a longer process to get to know an organization. Maybe it's not the right stage quite yet um, for what that funder is doing, um, but just, being on being on the radar, getting to know them, I think is probably one of the best outcomes of that first meeting. And it's not probably not going to immediately turn into a grant. So just like kind of knowing that. Um, and something else I would say that I think works quite well is when an organization also asks questions to the funder. And so it's not just like expecting that the funder is just going to kind of boom, 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 like here are all these questions, have it like, what's your impact? What's your team? What's your, what's your, right. But also getting a sense of who's the person that you're talking to, what kind of stuff are they looking for? What's their investment criteria? What's their process? Like, you know, how long are people in the pipeline? Like getting a better sense. Cause then for the organization too, like that can 
help you get a better sense of if, if this is a high priority relationship that would be good for them to like pursue moving forward. So like for us, like we love it when people try to get a sense of kind of like, what is Milagro's investment criteria? Kind of what are we looking for? And how do we think about scale? How do we think about impact? Let's like workshop that. That's brought up two quick questions yeah. in my mind. Uh, the first is if you had to just for the sake of the conversation, put a percentage on how much talking and how much listening should happen <laughs> in that first conversation. Yeah. Is it a 50, 50? Is it a, 60 40 what percentage would you give towards the talking and versus the listening yeah i don't know if i have a specific like percentage like the ideal percentage i can tell you that a 95 5 is probably not a good breakdown <laughs> right yeah. and i find myself in a lot of conversations where it's a 95 5 and i think there's something that i can be doing is the five percent just when they take a breath or <laughs> i i don't know yeah yeah kind of um I think there are things I can be doing better too. I've been reflecting on that, on like what I could be doing differently to try to make that a more shared conversation um, as opposed to an interrogation. Cause I, I don't, I mean, I don't think anyone enjoys that. So, um, but yeah, I think trying to get towards a more equal, like listening and sharing is, I mean, that's what a conversation is, right? It's a combination of listening and sharing. Absolutely. Uh, the second question uh, is around desperation. Uh, I mentioned that in my book, what leads nonprofits to be desperate. And I'm thinking about what you were saying there and the conversation you have with a nonprofit who long term could be a great partner, but are having short term financial constraints. What's the advice you give to someone in that sort of desperate situation where they most likely, well, not most likely, but they're very likely on the track towards becoming a fellow or becoming someone in the pipeline. Mm. How do you sort of talk to them about patients when they're worried about keeping the lights on? Concerns. Yeah, that's a really hard one. I mean, there are some funders out there that focus explicitly on that, like on, you know, kind of like gap funding if there's like a major... Like an open road alliance. Like an open road alliance. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. So, um, I mean, I guess in that scenario, I would just encourage people to think about like who who do they know that could be kind of in that gap it might not be a new funder right it could be existing funders so like how are they engaging their board how are they engaging like their uh, like individual donor base like their current donors that have already invested like they're people who are already investing in you they think you're doing fantastic work if they know that you're in a difficult situation is there an opportunity for them to maybe like modestly increase their amount so that they can kind of get to the next step i think that's a that's a hard, probably a hard, unless it's like an open road alliance that's really focused on that. I think that's probably a hard conversation to have with a new funder who who doesn't know that organizations work. And this isn't specific to Milago, but I mean, I think a lot of funders also just like realistically, that diligence process could take a long time. And so if you're short for funding, going through that with a new organization might be too long. I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much like how many months of cash they have on hand, but you know, like that might, that process just might be too long that that maybe is not the best use of um, kind of like limited time and energy if you're really strapped at the moment. No, I think that's, yeah. a, that's a perfect answer. And before we end the tour, I'll, I'll ask, let's say someone's made it to the fellowship portion where they're now a fellow, they're a Malago yeah. fellow. Yeah. I don't think it stops there. What are some of the things that people need to know in order to navigate that, that period of being a fellow and get to the point where they meet you and, and get additional funding later on? Yeah. Are there mistakes that fellows make that, or maybe not the word mistakes, but just things that happen that sort of derail that process? Or how does that continue once they've actually been chosen as a fellow? 
So imagine it doesn't, the relationship doesn't end there, obviously. Yeah. So again, I don't know if it's like anyone making any mistakes necessarily. Yeah. I'll use, I mean, you can blame yeah, me no, for saying the word mistakes. Yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think we, we bring people into the fellowship with the intention that there is a, there will be alignment with the portfolio. We are also an early stage funder. So we are pretty open to risk. We know that not everything that we support is going to work out. It might not be a great fit. Right. And, and that's okay. Um, and so I think what, I mean, again, with, within our fellowship, what we're really hoping for, like the kind of attributes that I think are really helpful is, um, an like an openness, um, an interest in learning and like a willingness to really think critically about the model. And that's the kind of stuff that we look for. You mentioned something there right before I was ready to move on, uh, in terms of not everybody works out. Yeah. How do you have those conversations, conversations with the nonprofits where it's possible that it may not be working out for them as an organization, not, no, not yeah. in terms of as a partner, but yeah. you feel like there are just some signs that they may not be able to make those next steps. Do you have those conversations? If you do? Yeah, I think we do. You'd have to ask the organization. They, <laughs> they think we're doing that and doing it effectively. But I do, when we talk about that a lot as a team and we try to be, and again, I think one of the things that I like about working at, at the particular organization I'm with now is that we have that fellowship. So you get to know, like it's a week long thing, like, you know, um, there it's a two year. So you you spend quite a bit of time with people. So you get to know them pretty well. So you yeah. can start having like more frank conversations. Right. So it's not just like across the table from someone super, super serious. Right. So I think we can be pretty open with people. And I think, I hope that they um, like are expecting that from us. And so we do try to have hard conversations around, Hey, like this thing, this is how we've seen this work for other people. I'm not sure like if that resonates with you, but it, but it kind of happened this way over here. How are you thinking about that? Right. And just kind of just like pushing a little bit and just seeing, seeing where that goes. And some people are receptive to it and some people might not be. Um, but we try to call it like we see it. Well, thank you for that tour. Yeah. I hope it wasn't too painful. No, for you. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> So the next thing I want to talk about is mistaken identity. Okay. And that comes up in so many different ways. Yeah. Obviously, some might, well, someone might think that you're independently wealthy, or they think you're a bigger organization than you really are, yeah. or they think it's quite easy to get in front of you. How do you navigate people from thinking that you're the source for them when they, you're not the source for them? Yeah. Uh, I think the, the best way I can do that, and I'm open to suggestions, but what I've found is just to be pretty clear with people about what are like what the kinds of things that we fund and what our criteria is. And, um, you know, some of that, for example, is like geographic, right? So I had a conversation, you know, we're at a conference here meeting tons of people, had a conversation with a gentleman earlier who's doing really interesting, like super interesting domestic work. Um, and I love what he's doing. And so he asked, like, would there be a funding opportunity with your organization? And so, I mean, it's pretty, I mean, just at the very base, no, like we, we, we work internationally, right? So that's probably not going to be a fit. Um, but then I think where it gets harder is where there's a lot of like nuance. Like it is someone working in the kind of communities that we do, we do do work in, um, in a sector that we have a lot of organizations working in that sector, but there might be something about the model or like the impact or the scalability of it. Um, that's probably not quite a fit. And so I think just trying to isolate what that thing might be and, and to have a conversation with them about it. And one thing that I would just put out there, and when we share this with our fellows too, is that if an organization's having that conversation and, you know, and, and a donor or someone might say, hey, I don't think this is a fit for me. I think ask, one thing you could do is just ask them like, 
well, what would it take to make this something that would be interesting, um, right? And the answer, I think that answer could be pretty important, right? Because it could be like, honestly, like we're never going to fund domestically. So I, you know, I just don't think so. But maybe there are other ways that I can like connect you with people or something like that. Or it could be, we need we would need to see, you know, more rigorous evidence of impact. Or like we would need to see a streamlined model that could be more scalable or something like that, right? And then you have something a little bit more tangible so that you know, maybe this could be a fit in the future or this is just like kind of a, a no-go and then be more targeted in how you're having those conversations with people. Do you feel like doing that puts pressure or obligation on donors when a nonprofit says, okay, if you can't help me, yeah. what can I do in order for you to help me later on? Who else can help me? Do you feel like as a donor, you, it's, an, uh, it's a pressure for you to come up with an answer, especially on the fly, if you're having sort mm. of a, a quick conversation with someone? Or do you feel like it's an obligation as a donor to at least be able to identify another resource? I mean, I think probably, yeah, sure, it is pressure. Is that bad? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, like, like we were talking about earlier in terms of how those conversations happen, in my experience, um, a lot of times it will be a donor asking a bajillion questions to an organization. And I think they have every right to ask us a hard question. So I, I think they should go for it. And does it put me on the spot? Yeah. Should it? Probably. Um, but I think I, I do, I know some people like think funders are not in it for the same reasons. I do think that we're all in it for the same reasons. Like everyone wants to have impact. Everyone wants to be doing something positive or we would not be working in this space, right? And I do think that if there's something that someone can offer, they will offer it. Like maybe they know about another resource or like, hey, you know, but you might be a good fit for this other fellowship or like, have you heard about this organization that's doing a lot of funding domestically in that particular topic? Maybe they aren't as familiar with that funding landscape. And as a funder, if you have that deep knowledge and you have a bunch of friends in the space, like you, that might be something you can contribute that would be meaningful. And if you can, I think you should. Are there any do's and don'ts that you would pass on to nonprofits, whether in terms of reaching out to Malago or in, or in general? Mm. Yeah, I think so. This is a maybe a little bit different because I think some, most of our conversation has been about like how do you start that conversation, and so maybe my do's and don'ts. I'll talk about how to sustain that conversation. Of so. Something that we really encourage people to do is to understand, like when it comes to donors, I, we all think it's about, you know, it's about building and sustaining a relationship, right? And so we've talked about building. So in terms of sustaining, you, it, every donor might have kind of a different frequency that they appreciate information or a different format in which they appreciate information. And I think trying to get clarity on that early on um, and then keeping those people engaged in what you're doing will only will only help you out and if there's a way that you can do it in a pretty streamlined way and um, building a system around it um, i think that'll be quite beneficial so something that we really appreciate and we ask our portfolio organizations to do is to send us just quarterly updates like what's going on big ticket items right like not a huge report like nothing you know nothing crazy but even just a quick email that's like hey um, this crazy thing happened in um, this particular market that we're working in and because of this policy change we're probably not going to be able to do x y and z here's how we're thinking about it one to keep you up to date right like even just that simple so you have a sense of what's going on you feel like you kind of know where things are um, so that would be a something to do something not to do is to surprise existing donors with stuff when you know that something might be like coming down the line. I mean, this is of course like negative things or like challenges that might be coming. Maybe they have an existing grant with you and you know halfway through the year that you're not going to meet those grant 
requirements or some or whatever. Um, it's uh, I think trying to keep people in the loop as opposed to surprising them at the end of the year is going to be much more beneficial to sustaining that relationship in the long term. What's your advice to nonprofits in terms of delivering obstacles or failure yeah. to a donor? I think part of it depends on your donor, right? So know your, know your audience and kind of how how that information will sit with them best. For us, we like to know. And I think there's a way that you can share that information that still inspires confidence, right? Like, hey, we recognize that there's a challenge. Everyone knows this work is hard, right? Like you're working in agriculture, like there were no rains, like that's not your fault, right? So I think just being upfront with people on like, here's the challenge, this is how it's going to affect us, and here's how we're currently thinking about addressing it, or do you have any ideas on how we can address this or what's worked for other organizations that have been in that space before? What happens if they, they face failure or obstacles during the relationship building process. Is that the same conversation they can have with someone who's already not yet the donor? Is it this, uh, mm. Or is it something else that they say or do? I think that's probably a much harder yeah. conversation if to I'm, have. Yeah, if I'm, if I'm interpreting your question correctly, right. we have had that experience with um, a couple organizations, especially at like the earlier stage, maybe that don't have a ton of funding relationships yet. And something we'll hear because you know funders talk to them right like everyone talks to them of course and we'll hear from other funders that maybe an organization is being super unresponsive or they were like trying to talk to them and then they got like they never responded it was very very strange so then we have um for organizations that we work with said hey we're, we're hearing that you're not we're like responding to people like what's happening like yeah. you know like part of a, a good part of fundraising is like keeping people like in the loop, like it's about creating that relationship, trying to be responsive. And so we have had those conversations with people because, um, you know, if we're investing in people and in organizations and um, stuff like that is happening, it's going to hinder their ability to get future funding. And we know we're not, I mean, we are one funder, you know, we, we're not, we don't have like the huge bucks that a lot of other funders have. Right. And so if they're making those kinds of, you know, like mistakes, if you yeah. will, it's going to hinder their ability to get the the fuel that they need for the organization to grow. And so if you can if spot that stuff early and try to address it early, I think it's only beneficial for the organizational um, the organization's like strength. What are some experiences that you'd like to share yeah. uh, in terms of engaging with nonprofits or how they've chosen to engage with you, good or bad? Good or bad. Everyone goes for the good, but feel free to choose either one. Yeah. Let's see. Again, I think I'm going to, I'm going to answer your question a little bit differently. Maybe you can choose that, any way you but, want to. Yeah. I mean, I think one of my favorite things about my current job is when we get to like recommend organizations that we work with to other funders or maybe like make an introduction that then leads to another level of support and then being able to talk with that organization about like that experience and how they were able to like get additional funding from maybe another organization that we introduced them to or like made a recommendation um, on, on their behalf and that's like one of my absolute favorite things to do it just feels like super good right it's like the multiplier effect um, I think one of the my least favorite things to do um, and this is more from other you know other positions that I've held is when you do diligence on an organization you get to know them pretty well um, maybe it's a long process right and then that ends up not being a funding opportunity and then having to communicate that conversation um, or have that conversation is like probably one of the worst situations. You know, I just, that feels horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking about something as well that 
I've experienced uh, on both sides where either I have talked up a nonprofit that's doing amazing work and then they're like, oh my God, I, I'd love to meet this nonprofit. I'd love to meet yeah. the leader. And then I come back weeks later, months later and say, you know, anything happened there? I go, oh no, we just didn't think it was a failure. Really? And I'm like, something was lost in the conversation. Yeah. But it's also happened the other way around where donors have contacted me and said, oh my God, you've got to fund this organization. And when it's happened the other way around, I've noticed that they don't have the same energy, they're lacking, it's not the same, what's being told to me by the donor, it's not the same thing being told to me by the nonprofit. They're mm -hmm. not necessarily having a conversation about how they're going to approach me. Yeah. But sometimes I recognize that it could be because they're coming really grassroots, so English might not be their first language. Yeah. Or they're focused on something that's really current and something that's happening in the organization that they need to focus on, whereas the donor has the ability to just sort of say, they're focused on all these things and they're not really, there's, a, there's an issue here that they're not really focused on. Is there any advice that you give in terms of making sure there's a sort of equal message or, or, or parity in the messaging when a donor recommends a nonprofit and a nonprofit actually goes to you or comes to you? Um, for a recommendation, you for, mean? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think so. So I'll put it this way. So if an organization is coming to us for recommendation to another donor that we don't really know, like maybe they're applying for a big grant or something like that, um, making it really like having them articulate to us like why they think they're a good fit for them, I think is super important. Um, and I think when we're when I'm making a recommendation on behalf of another organization that I think could be a good fit for someone else, um, part of that's on me to really know what that other funder is looking for. Like maybe they're only funding in a few countries, and if I'm recommending something that's like totally not in the areas in which they work, then that's probably not going to be a good fit. And I think that a little bit of that is on me to really know that. Um, and so I try, I try to get that kind of information before um, I, I make those recommendations and also try to communicate that with other organizations too, that might be asking for a recommendation to a funder that I know um, that may or may not be the best fit for them. And just trying to share back like what I do know about what different people are looking for that could potentially help them and how they're targeting. All right, so we've reached the part where I'm going to stop asking you oh, questions, okay. and these are questions coming from other people. Yeah, yeah. One from my book, yeah. but also someone who's very familiar with Malago Foundation sure. on the nonprofit side. Sure. So, the first question, and I'll try not to butcher this. What do we say to a donor who is willing to pay for implementation and M&E of a new approach to our mission without providing any funding to strengthen or evaluate our current model, which is still underfunded? So I have so many questions about this question. Like I, I want to know, I, I want to know what's going on. So part, I mean, my first question on this would be, well, who is that funder and what are they like? What kind of stuff do they normally fund? Right. So is it, is it because that funder is an innovation funder and that's, that's just what they do? Um, is this a funder that has been a core support, you know, has been funding the model previously, but sees really high potential in this new program? I'm not like, I'm not sure. And I think yeah. that those just getting clear on who's providing that money and what the intention is in that money coming in for that particular thing. Keeping it anonymous, yeah. but knowing who the nonprofit oh, was okay. that asked that question, I think it's a new funder. So I'm pretty a sure new it's funder. a new funder. So someone who hasn't funded the organization at all, what sort of wants to come in and sort of change a little bit or fund innovative part yeah. of uh, the organization going forward. But again, their core yeah. needs are not being met. Yeah. Well, I guess one, one way of thinking about it is understanding when to say no. And again, I don't know who the organization is. I don't know if they want to want to move that innovation forward or whatever, but 
Um, if that doesn't seem like a good fit for them and takes them away from their strategy, and it might not be, it's not like an existing funder relationship and they're not sure if it's going to become a long-term funding relationship, that might not be a strategic choice. So even though an opportunity is there, knowing when, knowing when it's an opportunity to take and knowing when it's an opportunity that might steer you off course is, is going to be quite important. I think another thing to think about is why are you doing an evaluation to begin with? Like, it, I mean, from the, from the nature of the question, it sounds like it's like a very evaluation yes. kind of focus. So um, what is the purpose of the evaluation? Is it to prove a new model that might be like super relevant and valuable even to others in the sector? That's possible. That could be really interesting. Is it is it something to um, help the organization become better at what it does? Like, is it like a process evaluation? I don't I don't know. So just understanding what are like what's the intention behind it and how could it potentially be useful to them and is that like worth the investment um, in doing that other initiative? I think it's really difficult for donors to talk to nonprofits about what money to accept and what money not to accept. So I've actually encouraged other nonprofits quite often who have done that and done that successfully or done that and had results go their way after to have those conversations with other nonprofits. It's still a very difficult conversation to have, no matter who's telling it it to you, because there is bad money. And I don't mean that in terms of bad intentioned money. I just, in terms of money that will take your organization in a way that you don't want it to go. Yeah. And it's hard to turn down any money, especially if you're uh, in an underfunded situation. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I know it's hard for anyone hearing us say this mm-hmm. is easy because we're in a funding position as opposed to a needing yeah. position. So uh, I know it's quite difficult. I, yeah. And I guess like part of it though is, is what, I mean, coming back to the mission and, and how that guides an organization and is doing that other initiative going to take you off your mission? And if it is like, is that the right kind of money to be accepting? Cause if you think about it, like, I don't know how big this investment would have been, but like if it's doing both implementation and evaluation and it's like a new thing, do you have to hire a new team to do that for two years? Like, is this a new community that you're like creating uh, a relationship with that's going to pull out after two years if that funding doesn't go through? So like, just like, what are like the, the, the potential positives and some of the potential negative consequences of doing that kind of work? Yeah. So second question. Yeah. What is something missing from an otherwise perfect funding candidate that you can either overlook or work to improve? And what is something missing that is a deal breaker for you at the foundation? Mm. In my my current role? Yeah. Yeah. So again, since we're an earlier stage funder, we are open to risk. And I think a lot of organizations that come through maybe don't have a totally solidified model, still have a team that they're building up. Maybe their board is still like friends and family board, hasn't kind of transitioned into more professional board. So those are all things that we think are um, natural and part of like an organization's evolution over time. And so things that can be kind of worked on and developed as the organization matures, no problem. Uh, I think the things that are really hard to compromise on are things like a, a passion and dedication to the work, um, an orientation towards impact. And like for us specifically an interest in scaling up, like if you're not interested in scaling up what you're doing, it's you know, it's probably not a good, a good fit for organization. And then finally, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but an uh, openness and interest in learning from others and thinking really critically about your model. I think that's super important for us as a funder because we do run a fellowship. It is a kind of design oriented fellowship and honing in on a model to have impact at scale. And so if you're coming in and are not interested in really reflecting on that and kind of what's working, what's not working, that probably wouldn't be a good fit for us specifically. 
thank you so much. We've yeah. actually reached almost the end. Uh, we're going to end on the future. Oh, okay. So the future is something you should be looking yeah. forward to if it's still here in a few yeah. years. Hopefully it will be. <laughs> oh, that's dark. Uh, at least five years before all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because the question's about five years, so at least five years. I hope so. What is yeah. something five years from now that you wish to be able to look back on with pride that your philanthropy has accomplished? So again, uh, we're investing in fantastic people that have really great ideas. And I think in five years, if even just a subset of those are continuing and actually like continuing to have impact at increasing levels of scale, like I would just be super excited about that. That's, I mean, that's why we're here and um, not everything is going to work, right? Like not everything's going to work, but if there are a handful of things that really do, hell yeah. Thank you. And I hope so too. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully in a distant and not too distant future. Not, I won't yeah. be too dark on that. Yeah. So thank you, Sarah Myers from Milago Foundation again for joining us and lending your voice to the virtual tour. Absolutely. I'm honored to I'm honored to be here. So thank you for the provocative questions. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and thank you for listening.